0: the messiah community radio talk show this is michael james lauren we got a great show for you It's about religious freedom, demanding liberty, a book by Brandon O'Brien, Dr. Brandon O'Brien. He joins us. An untold story of American religious freedom. But first, our sponsors, over 90 years of experience in developing audio electronics, the Messiah Community Radio Talk Show is brought to you by Bayer Dynamics. Stands for innovative audio products, the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide alert solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand from headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.bayerdynamic.com. And by Hamilton Stands, founded in 1883 in Hamilton, Ohio. Hamilton Stands is the oldest music and instrument stand maker in the world. They offer a broad range of sheet music stands, band and orchestra instrument stands, and combo stands, including mic stands, guitar and keyboard stands, and accessories. In fact, the broadcast you're listening to now uses a Hamilton stage rocker mic stand. Visit hamiltonstands.com. Our special guest, Dr. O'Brien, welcome to the program.
1: Uh, Thank you very much for having me.
0: You're you're involved in the church. You can use the Hamilton stand, right? (laughs) (laughs) All the sheet music, and you know, well, you have an interesting book. Once again, it's called "Demanding Liberty: An Untold Story of American Religious Freedom," and uh, this book. Is, it means a lot to you. It seems like you had some questions about uh, liberty and, uh, you know, that divide between the church and the state. Uh, what is that American flag doing there anyway that's kind of like the impetus to the, uh, to the book? Uh, what, what made yeah, you write this book?
1: So, um, well, the, um, the sort of the, – the quick answer is my uh, – Isaac Bacchus, who is the uh, subject of the book, was the subject of my doctoral dissertation. And, uh, so I spent a long time getting to know his story, uh, during the process of researching and writing the dissertation. Um, but, you know, more sort of personally, uh, Bacchus was a Baptist and an advocate for religious liberty. I grew up in a Southern Baptist church, in a Southern Baptist community, uh, that was very concerned about religious liberty. And, um, really, I, f- I feel like being able to spend some time with Bacchus's writing and getting to know his story helped me to connect some dots from uh from my childhood helped me to answer some questions that I had um about the way the church and state relate to one another in America and um and I, I think you know to to make it more contemporary that his struggle and his uh interests really feel uh, very contemporary to me and like they have a lot to add to some current discussions about religious liberty in america
0: yeah good point you know i went to seminary and i remember i remember isaac Backus was a, a question on a test and and then i forgot who he was and i was i was talking to my wife say so we're gonna have this uh you know really a uh, neat looking uh, book and uh and the author brandon o'brien on the program and uh, I I was told by a seminary professor it would do the church well to know historical figures. It would actually bring us together. Why Why do you suppose that is?
1: Yeah, well, you know, Bacchus has uh, I think this reputation. My my uh, my uh, doctoral studies were in um, Christian history, and I find very often people will say that they have heard about. Uh, the name Isaac Bacchus, and they're kind of vaguely familiar with him. Maybe he was a Baptist, but that's about all. (laughs) Um, And uh, and so that's a a, a pretty common experience. Um, You know, I think that it's, uh, for one thing, we're very motivated by issues. We're very driven by issues in contemporary conversations. And I think historical figures help us to remember that um, big ideas and concepts and uh, institutions, things like liberty and the Constitution, the Bill of Rights—those things did not appear, um, you know, out of the sky like magic. They were the result of actual people working in history um, to produce them, and they were, in some ways, they were the answers or responses to questions that people were asking in their generation. And so, um, I think, you know, understanding where some of these ca- things came from and um, how some of these questions were answered can can make all of it feel much more human and much less, you know, conceptual or something. And especially when there's a figure uh, that feels like someone you can resonate with, I think it helps to bring the the period alive, um, but also to kind of help flesh out important um, important issues in a a unique way.
0: So I have to ask you a trick question here. Which one is truer to the Constitution, uh, Fox News or CNN?
1: Oh, boy. Well, you know, uh, there's more than one way to be wrong, I suppose.
0: (laughs) It seems like, though, you know, when it comes to religious freedom and we talk in this Trump era and uh, uh, the news stations and so forth. But, you know, the truth be told, we don't really know a lot about really the the fabric of of our, you know, you said constitution, our society, the all the laws in place. And so uh, what can Christians learn from not from Fox News and CNN? What can what can Christians learn from your book?
1: Yeah, thank you. Um you know, I think what uh, there are a handful of lessons that I hope that someone would take away. Uh for one, I think uh I'd like for them to uh experience uh Bacchus's story and so the book goes uh it's not a biography of his entire life, but it runs roughly from the time he became a born again Christian during the first great awakening, which is in the 1740s. Um, Through uh, his adult life and ministry, he was a pastor of a local church for his entire adult life. Uh, He died in 1806, and uh, in the span of his ministry, he, um, he pastored a local church. He also traveled thousands of miles by horseback and preached hundreds of sermons a year to encourage other Baptist churches in New England where he lived. And um, he advocated for religious liberty in front of the Continental Congress, and he wrote a book and he sent a copy to President George Washington, and he had correspondence with a lot of the luminaries of that time, like Madison and Jefferson and others. And um, so, I think, on the one hand, I think just entering the story is is a, a huge benefit. Um, I think what his story illustrates that's useful for American Christians to remember is there there really has never been a time when everyone agreed on. Um, the sort of uh, the fundamental articulation of religious liberty in mm-hmm. America. Um, I think, you know, when every president that I remember has at some point in their presidency um, and in recent years, it's been, you know, having to do with terrorism or something in our response to our Muslim neighbors uh, that America is founded on the principle of religious liberty. And this is fundamental to who we are. And frankly, I think that Isaac Bacchus would find that statement completely implausible. Um, because he personally experienced um, persecution on religious grounds. His mother was arrested for refusing to pay taxes to a state sponsored church in Massachusetts. and Join the club.
0: Um, Join- I'm yeah. Just kidding.
1: And he, uh, <laughs> And he himself was uh, arrested. His uh, he had congregants whose property was seized and um, whose means of employment were destroyed because they refused to pay taxes. And so I think Bacchus would say that it's an odd statement to say that we all always had this, as if it kind of came, you know, with uh, with the territory. Um, it was actually something that people had to fight for. And I think his his story illustrates that. Um, you know, our liberties are actually the result of the hard work of persecuted minorities in America who, uh, who made, the, made the point impossible to ignore that we, we needed laws documented and, and freedoms uh, put down on paper uh, to protect all That's citizens. A good points.
0: You know, so, and we 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 live in a world here, you know, where it's uh, the digital age, of course, and uh, the social media age, and everyone's doing their own thing. Do you think that back in the day, people knew more about uh, all the laws, the constitution, the fabric of our society, and do you think that it brought people more together, including Christians?
1: You know, that's a good uh, that's a good question. I, you know, the newspapers um, and and other pamphlets spread news pretty widely in the colonies. Uh, and everyone didn't read. Um, everyone wasn't literate, and so I don't know that everyone was um, equally informed. But uh, you know, there was a much, um, in my opinion, there there seems to have been a sense in which people were more um, uh, corporate in their sort of advocacy for things. And so when Bacchus, for example, was um, trying to make his case to the Continental Congress, the 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 argument that he prepared had been approved in advance by his Baptist brothers. And so, um, you know, they were, they were kind of in this common cause together. Um, and I think at least certain communities at certain periods of time, um, were, were deeply invested and recognized that, um, when it came to religious liberty, the way America started was going to be really important. So they needed to get those protections in the Constitution, in the Bill of Rights. And, um, and they worked very hard together to make that happen.
0: Do you think now, Dr. O'Brien, that we have um kind of like a secret agenda, it seems? I mean, we're looking for as a Christian, that evangelical who will really stand up for biblical causes and so forth, but it it's kind of like which <laughs> you know, people talk about that they're Christians, let's just say, and uh, I remember Mike Pence. He said, you know, I'm in this order, I'm a Christian first, and then I'm, you know, the uh, the guy that you're gonna maybe vote for for, for vice president. Um do the waters get a little muddy?
1: Yeah, you know.
0: I, I mean, we that's... want someone that we could champion after. You mentioned, you know, Isaac Bacchus, but who's really standing up for the Christian? And, and it does get a little muddy. I'll let you answer, of course, between the, the church and the state. And and you can't really serve both masters, can you?
1: Right. Yeah, I think, you know, what I think what Bacchus recognized, um, and one of the arguments that he made for religious liberty is that um, – you know that all of us at the at our core because of fallen sinful human nature all of us are uh, self-interested we really at the end of the day we want what's best for us and the reason we needed uh you know legal protection of religious liberty is because um the the group that's in power is going to want what's best for them and if there's no protection to ensure that minorities have a voice religious minorities have a voice then the, then the powerful group will always just silence them. And, um, you know, what I, what I can't help but think is that in the 21st century, um, Protestant Christians have, ex- have enjoyed a level of, uh, social clout, uh, in America. And I think that Bacchus might warn us that some of what we w- want is liberty to worship according to our conscience, but some of what we want is also to be in a position of authority where we don't have to compromise um we don't necessarily have to play nice with everyone and i think he would warn us you know liberty he would fight for in every case no matter what but that sense of sort of clout i think he would be nervous about um you know entering uh, introducing political power to um any christian group is going to make it very hard for them to maintain their um integrity without compromising something along the way
0: yeah, I was going to say because you know, as a maybe political Christian, you know, we could be the, we're supposed to be the most polite or the most uh, loving and and God fearing, and sometimes we use Christianity, at least uh, some people do, in society as a, a political agenda, and uh, it just I think people non believers must kind of wonder about that, you know, that uh, you mentioned for years. And this is you speaking, I'd be puzzled over questions like, Why do so many Christians I know insist that America was founded on Christian principles, yet vehemently insist that the state has no right to meddle in church affairs? You also say, Why do so many Christians I know celebrate the religious liberties America protects, yet support federal initiatives to limit the liberties of certain religious groups? And why do so many Christians I know champion the separation of church and state yet seem to expect government to support Christian activities through tax exemption and other forms of subsidy. Can't eat the cake and well, you know, have it all. (laughs) Uh, That's right. So, Oh, I think you're going to, they're going to your take on that. But uh, so, yeah, uh, let me ask you a question. So, uh, you know, you brought up a point very early in the book where you're talking about how you brought up to a friend or a friend brought up to you that why is the American flag in the church to begin with? And that reminded him of of Nazism, if you will, that a church or, or the, na- the nation being associated with the church somehow. And then it really kind of got the cogs moving in your in your head. Uh, tell us a little bit about that uh, epiphany.
1: Yeah, sure. So my roommate in college, uh, who has been a dear friend for a long time, um, grew up in Austria. And when uh, we met in college in the United States, and one of the first times that I uh, worshipped with him at, at a church, we visited a church together, uh, he just found it deeply troubling to see a, a an American flag in the worship center. And for him, f- from a, an, a European perspective, this is an emblem of the state. That's been, you know, put at the front of a worship space, um, and so this is a weird sort of mingling of church and state, and that, you know, that reminded him. Obviously, he doesn't remember Nazi, you know, Nazi rule in Europe, but um, but it, it sort of triggered something in him of a sort of close association between uh, a. A secular government power, and then a church that seemed somehow to, you know, to be serving that power. And um, I think for me, the issue was not that I automatically thought that he was right; that it was a, a big deal, but that it just never even occurred to me. Um, I had grown up in vacation Bible school and whatever, saying, i uh, pledging allegiance to the Bible and to the Christian flag and to the American flag, and had been pretty much, you know, brought up to, uh, you know, no one had said it, but I kind of. equated all those as all of those were acts of faith at some level. And so for the first time, someone was kind of questioning me to say, you know, is that actually, is that sort of national uh, commitment, that nationalism, is that a core part of Christian faith or should it be? Um, And so I think that was when I started just sort of asking some questions about, you know, my inherited assumption about how the church and the state should relate to one another and and what that means for liberty and and all those kinds of things.
0: Yes, and just so our audience knows that Dr. Brandon O'Brien, he is the Director of Content and Distribution for Redeemer City to City in Manhattan. He is also the co author with E. Randolph Richards of Misreading Scripture with Western Eyes and Paul Behaving Badly, as well as the author of The Strategically Small Church. So I saw a, a Long Island area code, which I'm from. Long Island and uh, so how are things uh, with dr. Keller uh,
1: you know we're in an exciting uh, season of ministry here um, we uh, dr. Keller has joined the city of city staff full time and his sort of semi-retirement from uh, local church ministry and um, you know, we're excited to be actively uh, equipping leaders to plant churches and uh, cities all around the world and it's a it's an exciting time to be here
0: I visited the Church uh, Redeemer in New York City, and he's like this tall. I mean, he's he's tall, Doctor Cohen. He's like six foot five. He is. Nobody talks about that. He was pretty athletic looking, and you know, he's smart too. Of course, he's a he's a scholar. You know, a genius though. And uh, we want to get onto your book, but you ever have some nice conversations with him?
1: Uh, Sure. Part of my work is uh, being able to collaborate on things with him that are uh, you know central to our. mission around the world. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I've been really pleased about is that, uh, he is, um, he is the same everywhere. What you see is what you get. Mm-hmm. And it's really nice to be around, um, especially in an age where there's a lot of controversy about Christian leaders. Um, it's nice to be around someone who is, uh, refresh, refreshingly sincere
0: and, uh, full of integrity. And so it's been a real joy to, uh, to join in this work yeah i've been, tr- been trying to get him as a guest for like five years <laughs> and you know maybe maybe he could pull some strings you know we had nt right on the program and i i know he knows him and maybe you know just maybe you know you could put a good word That's in for me but just you know wink <laughs> wink okay so uh now let me ask you as far as uh content and distribution though for redeemer city to city what what exactly do you do there in manhattan
1: yeah, so um, City to City's um, mission is to equip leaders to plant churches in global cities. And so we have uh, targeted primarily some of the most uh, densely populated and secular cities around the world. Think London, Paris, and Taipei, and Hong Kong, and those kinds of places. And so uh, my role is to help uh, produce resources that train this uh, multi-ethnic and multi-denominational group of church planters um, as they're they're doing this really hard work in in uh, difficult cities and uh, that ranges from books to courses to um, articles to wow. training materials wow. is kind of the uh, runs the spectrum
0: yeah would you mind if I ask what you did before that I mean were you plucked out of secular work at all
1: no, so uh, just before this, we were living in Arkansas, and I had the joy of helping to plant a college uh, degree program that was a uh, partnership between my alma mater, uh, Ouachita Baptist University, and a local church, New Life Church, um, to um, offer an associate of arts degree that also prepared students for ministry. So um, it, it, interesting, you know, uh, there are a lot of differences between my previous role and this one, but both were um, focused on helping prepare people uh, to serve in ministry, and that's been um, a common theme, I guess, in my work for most of my career.
0: Yeah, I know a lot of people are, are just amazed what has uh, what God has done with the Redeemer Presbyterian Church and uh, how difficult that is in the city because everyone's doing their own thing and yet uh, people really want to go to church. People want to be ministered to, and uh, so a lot of a lot of folks are surprised at how uh, how organized, you know, and uh, they choose some some good people like yourself. So I want to ask you, you know, is, isn't it as easy or is it not? when jesus said well uh, you know this what's the coin the coin is of caesar so give such and such to caesar and give such and such to god it sounds simple <laughs> but where does it get a little complicated and and the way that you talk about in your book
1: yeah so you know i think that you know the challenging things i think happen when you know christians have been talking about this for a long time you have Different ways of sorting it out. Martin Luther and John Calvin, especially during the Reformation period, when Christian, uh, when Protestants <laughs> had a large role to play in government, were trying to figure out how you can be both a devoted Christian and, um, you know, say a soldier whose job it is to kill people, and how, how do you reconcile some of those things? And so, um, you know, it's it's hard to know what you owe to the state and what you owe to um, to Christ, as, as sometimes. I think one of the things that Isaac Bacchus really pushed that I appreciate is that, um, ultimately your conscience belongs to Jesus.
0: Yes. Um, that,
1: that you know, there, are, there are lots of ways in which, um, a Christian engages the world, but, um, that no one can coerce a person into becoming a Christian. And so one of the things that he said is, you know, that, uh, the basically established religion or forced religion can't make a Christian. It can only make a hypocrite. Um, and so one of the reasons he thought that, uh, religious freedom was so important is because you can force someone to attend a state-sanctioned church, but that doesn't make them a believer. Only God, you know, working in their heart makes them a believer. So he wanted people to be free to both believe what they uh, what the, their conscience uh, affirmed for them, but also to, to be able to gather and to worship and to live out those convictions Uh, without fear of being, um, you know, arrested or fined or taxed or something like that by the government. And so, you know, it was a very different time. And I think every generation kind of has to answer again for themselves, you know, where, where are the lines? Um, and for him in that time period, really the conscience was the big thing that if a person can't have kind of sovereignty over their conscience, then, um, then uh, that's where the real problem is.
0: So what do you think the most challenging thing for you was? In writing the book, what made, what made you think the most about and question your faith, or maybe question about um, society and and Christianity?
1: Yeah, you know, I think uh, one of the things, just from a sort of mechanics point of view, that was difficult in writing this particular project is that my training is as a historian, and as a historian, you're you're not supposed to interject yourself into the history. Um, but I felt like the story was was very personal for me, and it, I think also. I want it to be very personal for readers. And so um, I admit early in the book that it was difficult for me to maintain sort of objective distance, you know, from the subject matter. I, I just really wanted to kind of be immersed in his story and to tell it that way. Um, I think for me, the other, the, the sort of uh, faith challenge or sort of, you know, citizen challenge maybe is I think that Bacchus's story really raises the question for me of, how much of, um, how much are Christians in America in the 21st century experiencing real sincere persecution? And how much are we experiencing a sort of, uh, loss of privilege or priority? Um, and I think, you know, the, it, it's funny to say that I don't think Christians have felt privileged or prioritized in America for some time, but, you know, really, for all of American history, the default religious belief has been kind of Protestant Christianity or at least a Protestant Christian ethic. And, uh, and that's certainly not the case anymore. Um, but I think the question is, is that persecution or is that just sort of finding a balance to where, you know, Isaac back kind of expected things to be, for example, which is there's, there's nobody is receiving special, um, uh, privilege or special, um, hmm. And that feels strange to us, but is it wrong and bad? Um, I know from our work that when we interact with our Asian brothers, especially our Chinese brothers, um, one of the things that they have told us is that they're, they're glad that their work has, that there's some level of persecution in their faith because it keeps them, it keeps them pure and it keeps them faithful. Um, and so I think that, you know, we, we fight for, um, total liberty in all things and we should definitely fight for the liberty of conscience but but i wonder what the cost is when that turns into privilege if it does um, you know in some ways threaten our witness so, so let me I, let I'm me really
0: translate let me let me translate for you so uh what brand of christianity are we talking <laughs> i'm just kidding like in other words is this the real are we really living as christians are we willing to uh, you know to die for our faith or stand out from society i mean these are the things that you mentioned and we want privilege like uh, you had mentioned we want tax exemptions and things like that but are we really willing to stand up for in you know, the name of christ and it seems like uh, historically a lot of people uh, were which is probably why if we get to know isaac Backus in your book uh demanding liberty we'd probably be have more of a foundation if you will in the church and uh instead of just uh uh, the privilege of bringing coffee into the church.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You know, one, there's one story that I really appreciate about Bacchus, where he um, he one of the things that he liked to say is that majority is not um, does not equal orthodoxy. So just because most people think something doesn't make it true, and um, and he argued that because most people in Massachusetts at the time were uh, congregationalist and he wasn't. Um, but there was one village in New England that eventually developed a Baptist majority. So the most of the people in town were Baptists, and they had the privilege, they had the clout to then decide that they could have gotten away with taxing every citizen in town to support their local Baptist pastor. And Bacchus wrote them and told them, in no uncertain terms, you can't do that, even though you are in the majority um you can't use that power for your agenda because if you do then then we've you know we've lost the battle we've lost the war um uh, on this principle of religious liberty and so you know i think his example for me is someone who um he fought from the margins without clout and without a lot of money and without you know political power and he successfully mobilized people to uh, secure religious liberty and then when the power shifted at least in this one case And there was an opportunity to to leverage it, take advantage of it. He refused to do that because uh, he was so committed um, to the cause of liberty. And and I I find that really moving, and I find it challenging for um, kind of being a Christian in this highly politicized 21st century.
0: It's really tough. I mean, who's the the gentleman who's a a pastor that's going to speak at the uh, uh, Israel Embassy? Dr. Jeffries? right you know and he's talking openly about uh, the christian faith but i mean maybe it's i mean is he stuck between a rock and a hard place he's trying to represent jesus at the same time you know the the state says he shouldn't be there
1: yeah i think you know it's just there's a lot of gray and i think that there's always been a lot of gray um and i and i think that um the the position that we're in introduces new challenges that are, uh, I think probably since the 1980s, uh, are unique in America, um, that we have, we have a voice, we have a platform, we have a certain level of, uh, of political power and we have institutions that we want to protect, but, uh, and none of those things on their own are bad, but they do. Uh, my grandmother used to say, um, the more things you own, the more things own you. You know, um, sure. which is kind of an anti-materialism. But I think that's kind of true for Christians, right? If we have, if we have institutions and lobbies and political power and all those, it's it's just so tempting. Um, instead of those things serving us, that we at some point begin serving those things, and um, I think that's a real danger. And uh, and and I at least find uh, examples from the past when Christians were faithful and active and effective without those. Um, without that political power and without those things, I I find them really compelling and and offer a fresh perspective maybe on how we can be faithful.
0: Hmm. I want to ask you a question. If you could convert everybody, okay, (laughs) to be a historian like you, okay? (laughs) Because, I mean, honestly, you're getting something out of this, you know, which I I would love you to share with the audience and tell us. But if you could make everyone more of an historian, if you could say, look, try to be more of an historian what what will we learn from these historical figures that you talk about in your book
1: yeah you know i think in general um i think that cross-cultural engagement is 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 just it's life-changing right to be able to stand in somebody else's shoes and look at an issue from someone else's perspective uh helps you to see blindnesses that you didn't know you had and all that. And, and for me, the cheapest way and the the easiest way to have a cross-cultural experience is to read history because, you know, the past is a foreign place. And so I think that, um, it helps to get a little perspective on, uh, on how people before us wrestled with similar questions. And I think, so for me, it's one is the challenge of a new perspective. I think the other is that, it can be totally, it can feel totally hopeless and overwhelming when you look at a question like what kind of place is America going to be in 20 years as it relates to religious liberty. Um, it can be really terrifying to ask that question without any historical precedent. And if you, if you don't have any sense of what has come before and how we got here and how other people have faced similar situations, I don't know how you find any confidence for making a decision. And so for me, looking back over uh, Christian history, you see, in my opinion, we've kind of been asking that question, what's America going to be like uh, you know, for the next generation? We've been asking that question since the 18th century. And, um, and so I'm not as intimidated by these questions. It doesn't mean I have clearer answers necessarily, but I think that one of the things that a historical background does is it just gives me some confidence that we've been here before. God was faithful in the past; he will be faithful again. And uh, the best we can do is is the best we can do. And uh, we've got great examples of people to learn from. And uh, so for me, it's you know, it's I, I'm not a history buff in the sense that I just enjoy data and you know facts and trivia and that kind of thing. For me, it's a it's a really um, I kind of crave that perspective to help me figure out how to how to approach the present and i find some of those answers in the past
0: yeah because you hear things like you know those things on the street with jay leno when he used to ask people about who's running for president or advice people don't even know what's going on in mainstream society but let alone you know the church know about these historical figures that died so that they could have religious liberty and freedom
1: that's right yeah i find that you know the the constitution functions in national conversations a lot like the bible does and in Christian conversations where you have people with strong opinions who haven't actually read the original, you know, the document that we're debating, um, or they don't know it deeply. And so I think that, uh, the only way to really have, um, you know, informed, uh, open, honest dialogue about where we are and where to go next is to kind of dig, to dig back and find that, um, that thread of history to look into the, things like the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, see what it says, and and try to figure out uh, how to live faithfully in light of those things
0: um, today. And Dr. O'Brien, where can people buy your book, and how can people get in touch with you?
1: Yeah, the book is available uh, just about everywhere books are sold, uh, online at least, and um, I would love it if people stopped by my website, which is brandonjobrien.com and uh, it's under construction now, but People can uh, get a little bit of information there now, and it will be up and running soon.
0: Is it on Amazon?
1: Uh, the book is on Amazon. Yes, and I think they can find the website through Amazon as well.
0: All right. So just in case, you know. <laughs> but uh, so, Doctor O'Brien, uh, thank you for writing this book and and you know helping us to learn a little bit from history. Um, my goodness, you know we're so used to texting and everything. It wouldn't hurt for us to go into the history books a little bit and find out about the fabric of society and how it intertwines, you know, between church and state, religious. Liberty, and I guess one last question, though: How do you solve this dilemma? Is there a dilemma? In, in in a nutshell, what is the biggest dilemma between this this topic of religious, you know, religious liberty between church and state?
1: Yeah, you know, I think one of the this may sound a little like a cop out, but I think that that probably the biggest problem that that the church can solve. Is um, that we don't we don't really allow liberty of conscience um, for fellow believers? Um, I think we live in such a politicized age that we want um, we determine who's one of us and who isn't uh, based on how closely people align with all of our opinions. It's very hard for us, even within the church, within Christian circles, to extend fellowship to people who have different opinions. And, um, you know, there's a, a great example in the book of how uh, Isaac Backus tried to, in a church, he tried to pastor a church that was made up of people who believed that infants should be baptized and people who believed they shouldn't be baptized. And his, his view of liberty of conscience went far enough that he thought, surely we can live as believers together and have different opinions about this very important topic. And um, honestly, I think until Christians can learn to allow people liberty of conscience and extend friendship uh and and uh and community to people who disagree with us within christianity i, I really don't see how we uh, you know uh to, that we can not just get along a united front in a larger political arena so i think in some ways it starts with us in, inside the family of faith and uh and then works out from there Ah,
0: uh, to sprinkle or not to sprinkle That is the question. Well, we all just like Rodney King, we just all get along here you know, but uh, the book is uh, Demanding Liberty, an untold story of American religious freedom the author, Dr. Brandon O'Brien the Messiah Community Radio Talk Show is brought to you by Bayer Dynamic with 90 years experience in developing audio electronics Bayer Dynamic stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand from headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north dynamic .com. Also, Vocal Booth To Go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners, and also for the church, right? To help get the, the professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment and soundproofing portable and mobile vocal booths. Visit Go.com for more information and also buy Hamilton Stands. Founded in 1883 in Hamilton, Ohio, Hamilton. Hamilton Stands is the oldest music and instrument stand maker in the world. They offer a broad range of sheet music stands, band and orchestra instrument stands and combo stands, including mic stands, guitar and keyboard stands and accessories. In fact, the broadcast you're listening to, yes, using a Hamilton stage rocker mic stand. Visit HamiltonStands.com. Dr. O'Brien, you've been uh, quite a, a good guest, and uh, I'm so glad that uh, you're educating, uh, educating the people in New York City.
1: Uh, Thank you so much. You've been a very generous host. I appreciate the time.
0: Thank you, and uh, thanks for being on the program.
1: Thank you. My pleasure.